And if a virgin marries, she has, <laughs> if a virgin marries, Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're looking at Paul versus Jesus in a head-to-head who said what. We've got four bullet points to investigate, so let's get started. So this week's topic is brought to you by Instagram and a reel that I saw on there that may have come originally from TikTok, probably a lot of them do these days, but... What this reel or this little video portrayed was someone sitting in a car and acting as though they were very nervously calling 911. And the audio on the clip was the 911 operator asking what their emergency was and them saying, I'm just really anxious right now. I don't know if where I'm at is safe. The text over top of the video said, the Apostle Paul in heaven with the gays and the women pastors. So as I'm scrolling through Instagram, I see this, and even just with the text alone, I didn't hear the audio part yet until I pulled the thing up to view it. But from the text alone, I sort of spiritually cracked my knuckles, (laughs) we might say. And I wondered, oh goody, I wonder where they go with this. And underneath the video, there was this long comment talking about Paul and some of the things he said. And... There were three main bullet points where it said, Paul said this, but Jesus never did. And then the fourth point that we're going to talk about today is kind of the the person who made this video, their idea of why Paul had said these things and Jesus didn't say them. Now, as we're about to see, it was almost ironic, but kind of in a sad way. Because since one of their main points, at least in the, the text overlaying the video, was about women pastors. There's a woman who had put this video together, and yet she kind of showed an example of why she, at the very least, should not be permitted to teach or preach without at least learning a little bit more about the word before she starts trying to teach these things. And we'll see as we go on. The first thing that she claimed Paul said, and Jesus never did, was that Paul said it's better to be single, but Jesus never said that. So where does this come from? Where did Paul say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8, 26 through 28, and then 32 through 38. We've got a couple of longer scriptures to get through here throughout this whole episode, but here's what Paul says as he's writing to the Corinthians. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Jumping ahead to 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Skipping ahead to 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. 
So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. So as you can see, it's even in what Paul said, there's a lot of context around this idea that it is better to be single for the sake of being able to be more devoted to God. And this I can confirm. And it's not, again, it's not in a bad way. It's not in a sinful way, but it's just that there are needs of the home that must be addressed by both men and women in the relationship that you would not need to address if you were single. So it does complicate things as far as trying to be wholly devoted to God. There are other advantages to it. So you can kind of go back and forth. That's why he says, you know, he's not saying it's a sin to be married. It's just easier. And it's easier to follow God 100% if you have made up in your mind not to marry. Now, did Jesus never say that? Actually, he did. This one is actually the clearest line between Jesus said almost this exact same thing. Not in as many words, but he, he says pretty much just as clearly that it's better not to be married. Matthew chapter 19, verses 9 through 12. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So again, not in as many words, but anything that you say, if you can do this, you should. That probably means it's better. When they believed it's better not to marry, Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not saying that. We kind of discussed these verses in an earlier episode, but he was like, basically, yes. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. But yes, it is better. So bullet point number one, Paul and Jesus did both say, it is better not to marry or it is better to be single in a narrowly defined circumstance. If you can accept the idea of not being married and just devoting your life to God, that is better. Bullet point number two, and this one is oh so common. Paul said homosexuality is a sin, but Jesus never did. Now, we kind of went into this a little bit more at length in a previous episode, but just for the sake of looking at it one more time, let's look at first what Paul said and then what Jesus said and then make a point about the whole thing. Because in the second bullet point, it's a little less obvious, the distinction. We'll talk about that when we get there. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10, through 10, said, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So again, we're going to look at that verse again next week, but that's that's where they're getting this from. They're pulling out one of the kinds of sins that those who practice them will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and making a whole point about it. As I said, we're going we're gonna to kind of dive into that a little bit next week too. But the contention is that only Paul said that, Jesus never did. Here's what Jesus did say in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, Again, this is one we looked at a couple episodes ago, 
But we get hung up on this because Jesus never used the word that is translated as homosexuals or men who have sex with men. And so for that, we, you know, people try to say Jesus never said, Jesus never addressed this. So why are we creating, you know, making up a new rule that Jesus never did? Setting aside the fact that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And setting aside the fact that all scripture is God breathed. And so all of scripture was said, as it were, by God and by Jesus. Setting that aside for the moment, we again need to look at this idea that marriage is defined a specific way. So even though Jesus never said homosexuality is evil, he did outline what a marriage is in this. When he was talking about divorce, he still went back to this is what marriage was when God created it the union of two into one flesh. And so, as I said, we're going to be getting into this a lot deeper next week um, with our kind of final of the three-part series here. But let's, for right now, for this episode, remember two key points from Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, there is no place in the Bible where marriage is portrayed or defined as anything but heterosexual. Number two, related to that, There is no place in the Bible where the sexual experience is advocated outside of marriage. Anytime it is shown otherwise, it is either implied that marriage has actually taken place because of the sexual experience, and some of the old Mosaic laws do this, or that one or both parties have committed adultery. There's an analogy that my wife actually had heard from from a teaching that's a really, really great analogy for thinking about these sorts of things is that when banks teach tellers how to spot counterfeit bills, they don't do it by telling them all the different ways that bills have been counterfeited in the past. They show them what a true bill looks like. All the little points of it, the the feel of the paper, the colors, where different you know things are, the wording, all this stuff. So they know what a true bill looks like. And then they say, anything that doesn't match these things is counterfeit. In a very similar way, when we're looking at the kingdom of God, Satan is constantly working to twist God's kingdom and the truth of the gospel and of God into some sort of new type of lie. You can spend your entire life trying to figure out all the different things that are wrong, or you look at the truth and say, anything that doesn't match this truth is automatically wrong. And that I believe is why Jesus said what he did, why he didn't say it because he was only, he only had three years worth of ministry to try to get the important points through to these people. And the main point he was trying to make was that he was the son of God and he was going to be sufficient to be the sacrifice for our sins. That was the main purpose, my interpretation of it anyway, at least all the miracles he did, all the things he taught were about this is the kingdom of God, and I am the son of God and the proper sacrifice. Those are the two most important things he needed to get across in his three years of ministry. So if he didn't happen to address a particular topic, he did it by pointing to the truth and saying anything that isn't the truth is a lie. So that was point number two, that yes, I believe Paul and Jesus are both making the same point. Point number three, Paul said women shouldn't wear jewelry. And Jesus never said that. Now, this one, again, 
need some context and we need to look a little bit deeper than just the surface of the verse. So where Paul said this was he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verses 9 and 10. He says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So this is, oh, women aren't allowed to wear jewelry. Well, first of all, Paul wasn't the only one to say that. Peter actually said a very similar thing. He expanded a little bit on it, though, so let's look what he had to say. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-5 through 5. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. So first, let's also point out in context that neither Peter nor Paul were picking on women. There was instruction for men as well surrounding each of those verses. And there is a lot of instruction for men throughout the New Testament. It is easy to get caught up in what seems to be harsh instruction towards women and how it doesn't fit our culture anymore and that the whole thing needs to be thrown out and that it's unfair and oppressive and all these things. But understand, and as you read it, that there's a lot of instruction to men that is really, really difficult to do. Okay, It's not just picking on women. For the sake of time, uh, we're not going to look at all of those contexts. So you can look up those passages anywhere around 1 Peter chapter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. But we also see more clearly in the 1 Peter passage that the point was not just another rule, but it was a warning against outside appearances. He said, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. So does Jesus warn against outward appearances? You probably already know that he does. Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to skip through a whole bunch of different verses here, starting in verse 1 through 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Verse 5, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide, and the tassels on their garments long. Verse 12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Skipping way ahead to verse 27, when he's giving the, the woes to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And he doesn't stop there. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the admonition against wearing jewelry is serving as a warning against exalting yourself without word adornment, rather than focusing on beautifying, quote-unquote, the inside. James also says in the second chapter of his letter, verses 2 through 4, 
For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Men and women both should refrain from drawing unnecessary attention to themselves, is what I believe all of these passages are pointing to, is that it is a warning against spending your time and your effort and your focus on making sure you look good on the outside and not spending as much time, if not 10 times more, focusing on the inside. Because both men and women should have a quiet and gentle spirit, not just the women as well. And point number four, framing this whole thing, the video suggested that perhaps the reason Paul said all these things that Jesus didn't was that he was overcompensating for having been a Pharisee. That he made up these new rules that Jesus never said, even though we just saw he actually did, and it wasn't just Paul, but Peter and James too, that Paul did this in order to create a new law for believers to follow. So let's look at a couple of other things that Paul said. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 and 13 through 15, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Romans 6.14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 7.4 and 6, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This Paul who speaks so adamantly against the law, is the one that you think set aside one law of bunches and bunches of meaningless rules just to create another law with bunches and bunches of meaningless rules. Read your Bibles, folks. In this fourth bullet point, they make a suggestion about perhaps some of Paul's motivation with clearly a complete lack of understanding of the character of Paul. Regardless of whether he was a Pharisee or not or had previously lived with a bunch of rules, he was completely changed and new through Christ and Christ's work on the cross, as are the rest of us. I hope this has been helpful, not only in the specific instances that this talks about, or maybe answering some questions you have of why Paul said some things that maybe people have told you that Jesus never said. And again, kind of while we're here and at it, I've mentioned this before. I understand the importance of Christ, obviously. 
Without him, nothing matters. But I'm very wary of what I call red letter syndrome, where we think if it's in red letter, it's more important than anything else. As we kind of talked early in the episode, God wrote the whole thing. All of it's important. We have all of it for a reason. We need to study all of it in order to know God better and to make sure that our logic and reason doesn't get too far away from us. <laughs> it kind of brings us back into, because we can logic our way, our, our corrupted minds, which are being renewed ideally, can still lead us astray as things seem so logical. But in this case, even though it may seem logical to say, well, Jesus only had three years of his ministry, so surely he said everything that was important to say in that three years. Again, he did say everything I say was given to me by my father, and his father gave us the whole rest of the Bible. So I think it was. I don't think he wasted his words. I think if he did say something, it was very important. But again, it was important to the goals of him coming here on earth, which were a little more narrowly defined than the goals of the entirety of Scripture. Because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, that's it for this week. Next week, we're going to be looking at a story from my alma mater and kind of going through it as I experienced it and then spending quite a bit of time sort of laying open some lies that I believe has crept into American Christianity that has gotten us in large part to where we are in how we interact with a segment of the culture in America today. So I hope you'll join me. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh. <laughs>